0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Our topic will be field scouting. And honestly, as soon as we've got stuff going on in the field, I get so excited. I actually love scouting. I love being out in the field. I love checking out things. I love trying to learn. I love finding things that I can't explain. And then having to figure out, okay, why is the plant doing that? Or what is this new pest that we've got out here? I enjoy it. And the other thing is it it does make me money. There's no doubt about it. If I find things in our fields that we can get after on an early or at an early stage, we're better off. And we're gonna have some yield to prove for it at the end of the year. Here's one of the things that we see right now. We see a lot of insect problems. And I get crop scouting reports from agronomists really all across the northern half of the United States on a daily basis. And what I've been seeing a lot of lately has been bugs. Now, certainly early this year, it was alfalfa, weevil larvae. That was just the dominant thing that guys were seeing. And honestly, I think as soon as people heard that there were alfalfa, weevil larvae in high populations this year, Scouts were just going right to the alfalfa because that was easy pickings, uh, low-hanging fruit. We can find them easy, and it's so cheap to treat for them that a lot of people will just, oh yeah, yep, you got them out there. We'll get out there. We'll get them treated. Well, right now we're seeing the same thing in a number of other crops. In some areas where it's getting dry, we're already seeing spider mites starting to move in off the field edges and into the fields. And this is one of those problems where if you can get after them early, before they spread throughout the whole field, you're just way ahead of the game. Grasshoppers are another pest. that We're already starting to hear some people talking about grasshoppers in the dry areas especially. And as you cut the ditches, as you cut alfalfa fields, as you cut the grass, or as the grass starts getting eaten down with livestock or or whatever, Those bugs are going to move on, and they move on, they get out into your crop fields, and now you got a real problem. And spider mites are really the exception to some of the insect rules that we've got because with most insects, we can control them with a pyrethroid. Or if not, we can add an organophosphate to the mix. With spider mites, that may not be enough. Now, it depends on where you're at and depends on what type of spider mite we're talking about, but for the most part... Most of the pyrethroids, other than bifenthrin, don't have much impact on mites. In fact, the impact they have is the opposite of what you would intend. They will kill everything else out in the field, but they'll leave the mites alone. And now all the natural predators for the mites are gone. And you see some of these bugs, like when you're running a sweep net through fields, you'll see a green lace wing or you'll see ladybugs or different things that are actually some of the good guys. And when you take all of those good guys out, now all of a sudden the bad players, whether it's a, an aphid or a mite, they can really thrive. And you'll see big bursts of growth in those populations. So you want to be real careful. If you do see spider mites out there, normally we'll see them on the undersides of leaves. A lot of times they'll be right along the main midrib on a wheat plant or a corn plant, for example. And when you spot them out there, you've got to get great coverage and you've got to choose the right products. So uh, to the products, bifenthrin still works in a lot of the upper Midwest. I know there are some areas that say, nope, bifenthrin doesn't work for us anymore. If not, the next thing that we go to is usually a Lorsban or a dimethylate type product in organophosphate. But in some cases, you've got to go to a pure miticide and you find something like Oberon or Zeal and go after the mites that way. But that's something to keep an eye out for. If you're if you're seeing some bugs and you say, yep, I'm going to pull the trigger, I'm going to spray a pyrethroid, make sure there aren't spider mites first. Now, if you've been getting timely rains, you probably don't have spider mites. But in the areas where it's been awfully dry, uh, it's just ripe for spider mites right now. All right, thinking of other things that we're seeing out in the field, just... A lot of farmers getting out really for the first time after, okay, I, I've been across with the sprayer, but I haven't really had a chance to to get out and do a lot of digging and whatnot because it was plant, 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 and then spray, 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 and now we finally have a little bit of time to, to do some investigating. And I was just talking to a farmer in Pennsylvania this morning just about some of the differences he was seeing with different planting dates, even different times planting on the same day, seeing some differences, whether the sun was out and the ground was warmed up or it was nighttime and the ground was a little cooler or when they got some rain right after they seeded, those types of things were all making a difference this year. So it's something where if you keep decent records on your farm of, okay, what day was I here? What time of day was I here? That's really helpful. A lot of the programs now as you're using All the digital tools available are going to keep track of some of those things for you, but not all. So it's just a good thing. Take a few notes as you're going through. Just write them right on your field records that you may still be handwriting anyway. Here's what I'm doing in each field, just so you've got something in case you lose your electronic records. So as we're talking about field scouting on today's show, we hope we encourage you, just keep scouting. It's been blazing hot here on our farm for really the last couple of weeks. We've been mid-90s to 100 degrees on most of those days. So I get it. It's tough when it's really, really hot out there. You do kind of get used to it to some degree, but you get you can also be smart and just try and get out there a little earlier in the day and, and get after some of the things. And that does bring up another thought to mind here, too. Sometimes I'll hear from farmers, well, my neighbors are seeing this pest but I'm not seeing it on my farm, but I do see some damage out there. I just can't find the pest. Well, many of these pests that we're talking about, maybe it's a cutworm, for example. It's a great example of one that, that likes to be out at night, But not out in the heat of the day. It doesn't want to be out in the sun. So if you're going to find cutworms, you've got to either be out there real late in the evening or really early in the morning. And there are other pests that are the same way that you're just not going to see at certain times of the day. So do keep your eye out at different hours of the day if need be to find the pests that are in your field. And also, of course, keep your eye out for weeds as you're going through. Because, yep, even though you may have just gotten your post-emerge sprays done, They may not have worked perfect, or there may be another flush coming. And the earlier you can catch that, the better as well. We're going to talk field scouting on today's Ag PhD radio program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: If you've ever wondered how the farm all got its name,
0: Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com.
2: You work for results. That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking field scouting today from the Morton Studio. Real happy to have Jason Snell with us right now with Syngenta. He's over in Minnesota. Jason, how's it going?
4: It's going good, Darren. How are you?
0: You know, we're dry, Jason. We're dry. And so we're getting some of those problems that come with dry weather. Some of the, the insect and mite issues are already starting to show up over here. How about in Minnesota? What are you seeing over there?
4: Yeah, it's been... Pretty dry early. We have uh, some parts of the area got some good rains uh, late last week. Uh, kind of uh, didn't break the drought, but at least gave it a little little breather from uh, from that hot dry weather. And then there's some areas that are still pretty dry. So yeah, we're all over the board.
0: All right. So when guys are out field scouting this time of year, I mean there's so much happening in fields. We had lots of heat and. That's that's always something for pushing the crop along. I mean, look at this corn. I just can't believe how much it's grown in the last week. What are you encouraging guys to be on the lookout for?
4: Yeah, so on corn, uh, you got to you know, watch for your weed control. Obviously, we're kind of coming to the part of the back end side of most of these post windows uh, for for weed control on corn um, to make sure you can get your last shot if you need it um, to get it cleaned up. Um, Similar on soybeans, there's some cutoffs on, on soybeans with some new technologies that are coming up here at the end of the month that uh, you want to be ahead of and make a plan and make sure you don't get rained out a, a week and get behind the ball. So um, as far as insects, um, it's pretty early, uh, but definitely have be you know, on the watch out for some aphids, um, spider mites, and soybeans. Uh, we are seeing a little bit of the uh, orange gall midge uh, moving in from the south. Um, hasn't gotten into most of my area, but definitely something to be aware of. Um, We're still working on treatment procedures for that, uh, but we do have some things in the work and we're in the works and we are uh, working towards a a solution, hopefully, for growers.
0: That's awesome because I don't like my brother's solution. His is, well, just plant corn. Well, that's cool to say, Brian, but uh, it's not like corn doesn't have some challenges too, but he's right. We can get away from gall larvae and soybeans, but we are, I know uh, guys in Northeast Nebraska are already starting to see things showing up and, and yes, it's moving, unfortunately moving North. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of your guys up in Minnesota see them for the first time this year, for whatever reason, it seems like they overwintered fairly well and they're having a good start to the year, but you're right. If we can get some treatment right. for those guys, that'd be nice. Hey,
4: Absolutely. Yeah, sweet- it's going to be an interesting pest
0: speak about that too. Cause a lot of times they're starting on the edges of fields. We have a lot of bugs that start on the edges of fields. And my brother gives me a hard time. Cause he's like, why are you scouting the end rows? Get out in the field where, cause he's always thinking I'm beating him up about my goodness, we ran over stuff here. And what are we doing? No, I'm looking for the bugs that are going to come in or the weeds that are going to come in from the ends. I, I think those end rows are pretty important. How about you?
4: yeah absolutely and a lot of that you know the overwintering and the extra habitat that tends to uh tends to uh be around in those ditches ditch areas and, and fence rows and those kind of things can uh can lead to that environment where that's where they can move out from they'll move into the field in in some cases uh and from the margins it's a good spot to suck out
0: all right let's talk weeds here for a second 'cause we got we were getting beat up uh, last week from Somebody that caught our show doesn't farm. Why do you guys have to kill everything? Right? Why can't you just leave some weeds alone, whatever? And uh, I, love, I love this comment. My brother said, well, uh, is corn a weed? And she said, well, no. And he's like, well, actually, it is. It's a terrible weed when it's out in our soybean fields. It takes all the nutrients away. It takes a lot of water in. It shades out our soybeans. It's a bad, bad yield robber. Uh, Jason, I want to ask you about volunteer corn, because I know you were mentioning different technologies in soybeans now where guys are spraying 2,4-D or they're spraying dicamba out in the beans. Man, it just seems like you've got to really up the rates of these volunteer corn killers to get them to work when you're mixing with a dicamba or 2,4-D. What have you seen?
4: Yeah, so there's definitely been a reaction. Uh, Some of it is uh, on plant antagonism, some of it's in tank antagonism. Uh, In general, we've gotten away uh, with in our in our case fuselade has been our volunteer corn product of choice uh we do about four to six ounces of that in the past has done a very good job for us Uh, when we get into a dicamba mixture we like to go to the top end of that six to an eight if the corn is over about a foot tall we like to bump it up another two Um, and then in 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 list systems we like to start at about eight and go up to ten if the corn is big so it's kind of that plus two type mentality Uh, we have had pretty good control in all those in all those new mixtures uh, the other thing to look for is the on-leaf antagonism that comes more with the burner type technologies and even liberty in some cases where the liberty will burn some corn leaves and it can actually reduce how much of that uptake you get from the volunteer corn products so in those cases sometimes you have to bump it up a little bit to go up to four or five or six ounces of, of fuselade. flex right. and the burners are the other ones so
0: yeah, that's, that's a good point. Okay, uh, you mentioned Flexstar too. Here's one where I've got growers already saying, you know what, I got my residual down, maybe I didn't get enough moisture to get everything out of it I could, and now I want to spray Flexstar. How late do I dare push it with the rotational restrictions going to corn and then in a dry year where I'm just not getting enough moisture either? What does it really take to make it safe next year for the corn?
4: Yeah, it's a really good question. It's different for everybody. We have a pretty uh, robust uh, schedule system uh, from north to south in the U.S. based on zones, and that's based on historical moisture uh, over the years. And we, we're fairly conservative on that. So if we're in that zone and we're at that rate, we should be safe. And that replant to corn is 10 months. Um, cereals is four months for the most part. Um so corn in this case, ten months, that really pushes you back to that kind of that late June time frame when you really you really got to start being careful about when you apply uh Flexstar and other flameistohan containing products.
0: yeah, it sure does, and it goes fast like i I love that you mentioned this earlier if you're pushing up against a window here, whether it's a growth stage or a a label restriction on things like dicamba don't push it till the last day you never know when it might rain or it might get super windy those kinds of things that's great advice one of the other things Jason that we're getting a lot of questions on is fungicide Uh, growers are talking about you know maybe there isn't going to be as much disease pressure but I've got to have this stuff on before disease comes so I'm probably going to pull the trigger anyway what are you seeing out of things I know you've got the new Miravis products and man that SDHI in there and I know Triva Pro has been really good but talk Talk to us about mm-hmm. that and what you see with stressful weather and just the fungicide helping with plant health.
4: Yeah, so I think well, I think everybody's got a pretty good handle on what we can do for actual fungal diseases on plants. We have really good control methods, long lasting, and, and everything that we, that we talk about and have shown, I think, over the years with both those products. Uh, what we don't think about as much in really dry, hot conditions is the efficiency of that plant. So very either low-level disease and even some of the inherent characteristics of the components in both Miravis Neo and Trivapril can aid your drought stress in drought-stressed corn especially. Uh, you see a little bit in beans, it's easier to see in corn because there's bigger yield differences. But keeping that plant efficient, happy, and healthy, it uses every drop of water to the most efficient um, level that it can. It can really help you out in these years that are we're, we're not really super dry in some areas, we're on the edge, it can really push you over that and, and keep your crop going good.
0: Now I know this corn is growing fast and at a certain point we want to be really careful when we're putting those fungicides out in terms of what additives are putting in there. What's that point? Where, where How far can we push this because a lot of these fungicides have been getting put out at the same time as other things that that may require a non-ionic surfactant or, or different additives in there?
4: Yeah, it's a really good question. So we, we shoot for that B5 on the early side uh, for corn, and then R3 for beans. Beans are not quite as sensitive because the growth stage is kind of moving as it goes up with new nodes and new pods coming out. Corn really shoot for V5. We can, we have a little bit of a window on the backside we can go up to about V7, 8, 9 or somewhere in that range. Then it gets really sensitive once you get into the early reproductive or late vegetative, early reproductive stages um, to NPE containing nonionic surfactants. So. If you have a non-anextrafactant there, the best bet, our, our fungicide, straight fungicide label with just water is wide open. You can apply any time in that time frame. You would just need to remove the non-anextrafactants in that late vegetative stage right before tasseling, kind of.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. The fungicide itself is just fine. It's some of the different additives that we're putting in there. we got to be real careful, especially when we get past uh, V10 or so up through tasseling. Yep. That's just the time to watch. But honestly, there's a lot of guys that like to the spray Then They can still get the sprayer through the field. And when we've got some stressful conditions and we know we can help with plant health, that's, a, that's not a bad practice. We're talking with Jason Snell here with Syngenta. Jason, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on.
4: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: You as
1: well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmer's Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmer's Field Day, visit agphd.com.
5: Your soil, your season, your edge. Make the new 3-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. That same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge 3-point-mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento Fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use.
0: Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com.
5: Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio talking about field scouting, but of course we are always welcoming your phone calls, 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Got Mark on with us right now up in Wisconsin. Mark, how's your crop looking?
6: Uh, for the most part, really good. I'm afraid it's going to get dry but so far all that's really happened is we've had a perfect planting season and the corn and beans are rooting down really really well. Awesome. So we'll keep our fingers crossed.
0: You bet you bet. Okay so that probably brings up some questions about side dress or what are you thinking now?
6: Well yeah one how much do I put on if it's going to be really dry but Actually, just out of curiosity, you guys frequently talk about base saturation of potassium and all of these other nutrients. Okay. At what, now, just assuming we could live in a magical world, at what base saturation would what kind of nitrogen base saturation would you need where there would no longer be any yield gain beyond that point?
0: Oh, gotcha. Okay. So, uh, it's, it's a little different. The, so the base saturation is just positively charged nutrients. So it's calcium, magnesium, hydrogen, sodium, not nitrogen. So, uh, that, Uh that's slightly different, but, uh, with with the nitrogen, what level would you need where you wouldn't need to put any more on? It's it's a little tricky. There's two things that we look at in our farm. So we go out and pull pre side dress timing nitrate tests. So we just pull a soil core. Uh, we can pull them at any depth you want. You could go 0 to 24 inch. You could go 0 to 12 inch, whatever whatever you think. A lot of times we'll see guys doing 0 to 12 inch and just say, all right, here's what nitrogen is kind of in my root zone and find out how many parts per million there are and then or pounds per acre or whatever. And then the other thing we look at is our cation exchange capacity. We know that as we've got organic matter, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say exchange, organic matter percentage. We know that as we've got 4% organic matter in a lot of our soils, we generally get roughly 20 pounds of nitrate available out of each 1% of organic matter. So we know we've got about 80 that are going to come available at some point during the year. Now, some of it may come too late for us to use, but we know we're going to get some. So we'll look at those two things. So if we've got, say, we've got 100 pounds of n in the soil already, we think we might get another 50 out of the organic matter. Yeah, we might we might call it good. We got 150 to close out the year. That might be fine for us for our yield goal. But if you're shooting for 300 bushel corn, maybe you say I need to have 200 or 250 pounds. Just depends on what you're shooting for. My dad was always playing it safe. He'd been through enough dry years that he wanted to to make sure he had enough, but not get too carried away because he was always a little pessimistic. Oh, it's not going to rain. We're probably only going to get 150. We're not going to get 200. And so he he wouldn't push it too far. But I don't know. What do you think in, in Wisconsin where you're at, Mark? I mean, do, do you see yields really very widely or is a good year 200 and a bad year 180? Uh,
6: we see – well soil to soil we see a huge variation uh, i'm not
0: sure i fully understand the question well I, i'm i'm saying uh, for okay for let's just say your your best field that you've got on a on a bad year what's the yield and on a great year what's what's your yield is it is it a wide variance do you say man if i just don't get rain it could be 100 bushel corn out here and if i do get rain it's well over 200
6: uh, probably our best field, um, about the lowest I've seen it in my short life is about the worst I've seen it in my short life is maybe 120 and okay. about the best I've seen it is about 300.
0: Oh yeah. So you got a lot of variance depending on weather. So, yep. Then at this stage, what are what are you at right now? Knee high to thigh high?
6: uh just about to knee high okay
0: so you've got time so you right. could do a little bit of nitrogen now and you could potentially hire somebody to come in late if you needed to yep okay yeah then then i would just i'd kind of go for average at this point if if you think you know what it's it looks fine but weather forecast doesn't look good for me you could just go for average at this point and not overdo it. And then, hey, if you do happen to get the year that is going to allow for 300 bushel corn, you can always come with some more later.
6: Yep. Okay. So, Thank you, sir.
0: You bet. Thanks, Mark. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's tough to know what to do right now when it's as dry as it is in some of these areas. And it sounds like Mark's getting a little moisture, but but not enough to feel super confident yet. I've got Mike with us right now. Uh and we'll see how Mike's doing. He's in Kansas. Uh, just one second here, Mike. Sorry, I had trouble pulling you up there. How are you doing, Mike?
3: I'm doing great, Darren. How are you doing? Well, pretty good.
0: Okay. Every time I talk to somebody in Kansas the last couple of weeks, it's did you get ten inches of rain or are you dry or what? What man, you've had some variation across yeah. Kansas.
3: Oh yeah, it's from a half inch to four inches you know locally here Ugh. a lot of wind damage the last week so a lot of runoff you know how much we actually got absorbed into the ground it, we had like two inches all in 30 minutes or less time here wow. friday so wow yeah 60 mile an hour wind so you can imagine what that did,
0: so okay, so <laughs> a lot of the scouting right now is just how is the crop? Is it even standing or yeah. or did it did it get yeah. some hail or anything like that? Is it mostly weather related problems?
3: Yes, it is. weather related problems. I looked at several fields this morning before I come on here, and some of the beans that we're scouting now have just got hammered on Friday between the wind damage. It just it stripped all the leaves off and it got pounded with rain i mean they're going to go ahead and replant some of these you know but and some places had a little bit of hail so with the combination you know 60 mile an hour winds with that just there's not enough salvageable, still early enough to replant them that i'm um, suggesting get get them in <laughs> as soon as they can yeah you know
0: so, yeah what a challenge but I... there's a wide
3: variance corn is looking pretty darn good i mean it's We had a little green snap in a few areas that the corn was bigger, but knee high to thigh high, you know, it's, um, we've done it. We're doing a lot of foliar feeding right now and it's looking pretty decent. It laid it over, but most of us come back up now this week. So the hot weather.
0: What did you see with the green snap? Was it just the timing of the wind? Was it a real early morning kind of wind or, or what, what happened there?
3: No, it was a mid afternoon wind. And the storm blew up, you know, come in after lunch, and by 3 o'clock we had it, and it just, it caught it. <laughs> the wind come up out of the northwest, and it blew pretty good. just come sideways, you know, and pounded stuff with a heavy rain, and it washed, it cleaned a lot of ditches out there, needless to say, on Friday.
0: Wow, wow. So it was just the corn was yeah. growing so rapidly, it just got it at a bad stage?
3: Yep. Yep, it got at a bad stage. It was growing very rapidly, especially where we'd foliar fed some of it, too. We actually added to the issue, I guess, by making it grow a little faster. We did see some green snap and that bigger stuff. The smaller stuff, it just kind of knee-high or a little above. It just kind of laid it on side, but it's back up. But that thigh-high, waist-high stuff, it did snap some of that off there's not much we can do about that
0: now no no there sure isn't yeah it's it's. No, it's,
3: it's been one of them years i guess
0: <laughs> yep yep yeah and i know we're
3: planting beans too so
0: <laughs> we're up here just praying for rain like crazy but then sometimes rain yeah. comes uh <laughs> with a lot of wind or maybe some frozen okay. rain with it and that's yeah. that's no fun so yeah. i guess i'm glad we missed out on that not one no but fun. did did a lot of guys yeah. get some well, decent stuff though
3: yeah, I mean, most of them had the wind, but we had, we got the rain. We was needing the rain pretty bad. Yep. And we did get some water out of it. So, I mean.
0: Like you I say, you don't know how much how much soaked up. in when it comes that fast and that hard. That's That can be a little bit of a challenge, too. Well, hey, Mike, we got to run. Really appreciate hearing from you. Good luck. Hopefully, the uh, hopefully green snap wasn't too widespread an issue for growers in Kansas. We'll be right back after this.
4: Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique, self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro.
5: Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Endzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. The Endzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans so your grain naturally reaches ideal temperature and humidity. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. Don't miss
0: the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com.
5: When it comes to soybean diseases, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on white mold and other yield-robbing diseases with Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one, nearly twice as fast as the next leading competitor. For more information, visit ApproachPrima.Corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions.
0: If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at AgPHD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees, too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit
1: agphd.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio Talk and field scouting on our show today and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to Colorado now. I've got Mark with us. Mark, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Darren. Well, what are things looking like out your way?
2: You know, things have improved a lot since early this spring. Uh, Mother Nature's kind of decided she was going to be on our side for a while. Uh, Had some uh, pretty good rain, uh, the snowpack is coming off slowly, so we were able to capture a lot of that, and that crop is
0: off to a pretty good start. Outstanding. Well, that's that's good. I, we should have had you on a long time ago, Mark. This this is good, positive. <laughs> all we're hearing is drought, drought, drought everywhere we go.
2: Yeah, well, you know, in Colorado, we're about a week away from drought, it seems like all the <laughs> yes. time, but so far we've, we've been really, really fortunate.
0: Awesome. Okay, so what stage of growth are you at with your crops right now?
2: You know, our barley is all headed out. Our our wheat seems a little bit delayed. This would be a winter wheat seems a little delayed, and that has a lot to do with last year's growing conditions. A lot of this wheat uh, didn't have the moisture to come up until this spring, so the wheat is a little bit later. But our corn went in on time, and, and a lot of our corn's probably that V4, V5 stage right, right at this time, which would be right on the mark for average.
0: Yeah, just about ready to take off, too, like we were just talking with Mike down in Kansas. And and he said that corn was just growing like crazy, and unfortunately in some of the areas got a little bit of wind that they had some issues, but it's always a, an interesting thing with corn. You'd think from that V4, V5 until tassel it comes so fast that you just I, I can't wait till we get to tassel. I feel so much more secure about how that corn is. Do you see stand issues out there? I mean, do you see any issues with, with wind? Is that a normal thing? I would imagine there's got to be some winds that come through. Every time I try to fly into Denver, it's really 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 tough to land. It's it's pretty windy coming off those mountains.
2: Yeah, and we we farm somewhat in the shadows of uh, DIA. And so, yes, we do have quite a bit of wind. A lot of our acres, we've transitioned over to strip tillage. We're leaving the cereal stubble out there from harvest, strip tilling into it in the spring and planting the crop in there. So wind hasn't been our issue for stand establishment this year as much as some of the pounding rains. Uh, We had uh, some that we could break mechanically with uh, rotary hose, some of the crusting issues, uh, and then some of it we just ran sprinklers to try to soften that crust. But I would tell you we have about a 95% stand, and for a year that's been as peculiar as this year, I'll take that every time. Yeah,
0: yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you're going to complain about that. Okay, talk to me a little bit. You mentioned the barley is headed out. How do you manage that differently than what you'd be doing with winter wheat at this point?
2: Because we grow a seed crop on our farm, we really push the fungicides hard. We want to produce a very high-quality seed crop. Uh, We want to keep that that crop as stress-free as as possible. And so we push a lot of fungicides. Uh, We we might have a little bit of scab come into some of the varieties that we grow on our farm, uh, some blights. But the bigger thing that we've been really watching for this year, and it's, it's a pest that we haven't seen for a while, is Russian weed aphid. Uh, the Russian weed aphid has been gone from this area for the most part for the last decade or better. But uh, we've been r- running a, a few uh, pyrethroids out there just to keep our, our Russian weed a- aphid pressure at bay.
0: That is interesting. I love that you mentioned, hey, we're raising a seed crop here because we have a lot of farmers listening to the show that they want excellent looking seed. It doesn't happen by accident. It takes a lot of work. How about late season nutrients? Do you do anything to to make sure you're filling out that head well using boron or any anything else late? You know, on
2: our, our winter wheat that we grow for seed, we'll run a little bit by us all right at flag leaf. Uh, put a little bit of nitrogen through the pivot and, and push a little bit r- real late to keep that flag leaf as healthy as possible. Uh, we do a lot of tissue sampling. We sample all of our fields weekly, and boron probably isn't our biggest uh, contributor to quality as, as much as manganese and, and magnesium. Uh, we've had to do a, a little foliar this year on a couple of fields, and And that just seems to give us a little bit better plant health, which we believe translates to better germination. And, you know, at the end of the day, if the customer is buying a seed product from us, that's 98, 99% germ, we've done our job.
0: When you're looking at the magnesium, we talk a lot about manganese on the show, but we probably don't spend enough time on magnesium. We've got high levels in our soils, not always high levels in our plant tissue. What do your soil tests look like on mag? Are you low in the soil or is it just low in availability and moving through the plant?
2: It's low in availability in the plant, and that, that's the thing that somewhat is perplexing to us. That our soil tests look good. In fact, some of them come back in high concentrations. But when we're tissue sampling and we're looking at that analysis, it's just not making its way into the plant. Um, we've had good luck, maybe not every year, but we've had very good luck putting it on foliar. And it seems like it just gets into that plant and it, it puts us to those levels that we feel a little bit more confident in going into grain fill.
0: So do you see a yield difference, a color difference? What what do you notice when you spray the magnesium?
2: We do see a little bit of a color difference, but we see a test weight difference. We're helping to build test weights. And and it I think that's one of the contributing factors. It's not the only one, but it, it's one of those that helps us tip off our Our test weight's a little bit going into harvest, which ultimately provides us a little bit better seed crop to work with before we condition it.
0: Sure, sure. Okay, so you mentioned barley, winter wheat, corn. Anything else on the docket this year? Are you growing any other crops? You know, we have uh,
2: alfalfa in the rotation for the local dairy. uh, We just finished green chopping that last week. And um, we're having quite a bit of trouble in this region with the Egyptian weevil. And uh, we we timed our first application of insecticide, I believe, right the first time. But we're seeing that secondary flush come, which is a little bit different for us. Typically, we're a one spray area and we're done. But we're seeing those pressures kind of pop back up on us. So we we anticipate another spray application before the second green chop.
0: Oh, that is interesting. Okay. Okay. So with the alfalfa, when when you're looking at those stands, are these older stands or these new stands? Do you see the weevils being worse in one or the other?
2: We see it fairly uniformly through all of our stands. Our our stands have a little age on them. We don't really have a a stand that's less than two to three years old. Uh, But even in the the entire growing region here in Prospect Valley, we we have neighbors and, and friends that have that same kind of pressure and and it, it seems like it's more predominant, maybe a limb of the older stands more so than the newer stands.
0: Okay. I'm just curious. Are you keeping stands in your area like four or five years, or what do you target?
2: You know, depending on the traffic that we've had out there, we're starting to extend some of our stands five and six years. Uh, the, the green shop tends to shorten that that length of time. Namely, because of how heavy the equipment is that's going through the field and how we kind of push the stand along. Sure. But if we're taking it to dry hay, we can typically push five, six, and sometimes even seven years out of some of our stands.
0: That is interesting. Yeah, everybody's doing it just a little bit different. Is there a fertility program between cuttings, or or in the fall, or how do you how do you keep it healthy?
2: Yeah, we, we've we done something here recently that has a couple of our neighbors kind of raising their eyebrows. Ooh, so I like that. We out in the, yeah, well, I don't know. It, it, we think it pays off, but we're not 100% sure. But we're going into our alfalfa stands in the fall with our air seeder, and we're pushing a little bit of foss and potassium through the air seeder to try to get it placed into that dormant stand. Um, it seems to do the trick as far as trying to get a little bit more foss into the plants. Uh, you know, we, we've always surface applied our floss in the past, and, and you know as well as I do, it's just hard to get that down in that yeah. red zone. Yeah, it sure is. So we're going in, in the fall and putting a little bit of dry product through the air seeder, and gosh, that seems to have really done the trick. You can sure see where sometimes we forget to... Um, come around and cover our ends in that, and you can definitely see it in the stand uh come next spring.
0: That is interesting. Yeah, Brian's not in the studio today, but I think he would be all over that. He, he talks about that all the time. Oh, we can't get P&K to move down. Well, yeah, you can with equipment. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting <laughs> concept, but I, I would imagine you probably started on a smaller scale, and now you're expanding a little bit?
2: Yeah, and we try to Try to sneak it in on weekends when the neighbors aren't
0: paying attention so we don't get that <laughs> Oh, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that, Mark. I, I mean, this would have been classic <laughs> Ron Hefty, my dad. He would have absolutely wanted to drive that spreader or, or drive that air seater around and make sure everybody noticed that he was doing something crazy and different. Oh, man. Well, Mark, yeah. hey, we got to run. Uh, thanks for sharing that. We really appreciate it, and good luck here the rest of the season.
2: All right. Well, thank you. Good
0: luck with the rest of your crop as well. You bet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
5: Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more.
0: If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an AGPHD PhD Young Farmer's Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmer's Field Day, visit agphd.com.
1: A history of success means proven performance. But let's call performance what it is profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb Brand Corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support. Let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKalb Brand Corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
5: If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox.
0: Talking about field scouting on today's Ag PhD radio show. Thanks for joining us. If you have an agronomic question, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com. We've been complaining about dry, so it makes sense that somebody's getting the moisture and they're probably getting more than they need. we got Jacob with us down in Arkansas and I hear it's wet down there. Jacob, how are you doing?
7: Uh, Like you said, wet.
0: Yeah, just, just frustrating. So you're to the point of being flooded out on some of the crop. What What's the forecast looking like, and how, how fast is the water going down?
7: Uh, the water's not going down very quickly in places with some water off, but it's not all gone. The forecast right now is hot um, and dry, which you think, okay, that's not so bad, but it's scorching what crop is out of the water, but it's still down in the bottom of the row. So it's holding effect there for us. Yeah.
0: Oof. Yeah. I don't know what to hope for in that whole deal. I guess the only thing that could be possible here is you got enough growing season to replant some of it. Uh, are you going to be able to get back into some of that ground?
7: It's a case If you do it, uh, if you do it, what is the, what is the difference in that? and not planting anything because it's yield, even though we do have a longer growing season. Uh, but if you don't, you got to find weeds, so you either got to um, kill it under and start over and, and plant some type of cover crop or something like that. So we're going to have to be very, very flexible and, and just make day-by-day decisions sometimes on the situation. It might be what worked on the last acre is not on the next acre.
0: I'm glad you're detailing that because we've got a lot of non-farmers that listen to our show and they're always wondering, well, uh, what makes all these decisions so tough? Well, here we are. It's already mid-June and you're underwater right now. So who knows how fast things will be fit? Maybe it'll be a couple of weeks down the road. Now we're talking the 1st of July. If you were going to be successful the 1st of July, putting something in the ground, that's a, a whole lot different than the 1st of April or the 1st of May. You just think about the heat that's coming and everything else. So exactly. do you plant long season stuff to try to get through the heat before those critical growing stages come?
7: I'm not trying to be rude, but you tell me. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's
0: why I'm asking the question too. It's Oh, uh, it's it just definitely, it's it's beyond just plan B. This is plan uh, E or F down the road, that's for sure.
7: What we're having to look at is most of the time in our area, we plant four, five to four nine soybeans. That's the only thing we're going to be able to replant. We can't replant corn. Uh, we got some corn that's tasseling. Uh, can't replant cotton. We're, just, we're past those days of getting it done because that's such a long day crop compared to what you're used to talking about, you know, ninety day corn, hundred day corn and, right. and group two to group three soybeans. Yep. Um, so there's a lot more time there. So we toyed around the idea of going back with a four five or four six, but we got, you know,
0: day length issues. So do you back up to a group three where well, there may not be a
7: group three down here that can handle the heat stress
0: that well, we have to deal with. So I was thinking about you know, the opposite, Jacob. I was thinking about what about a five two or a five five where you get a determinant bean instead.
7: Too long. We'll run
0: out of daylight
7: before we run out of, uh, before it
0: works. At least gotcha. that's what we've discussed. Okay. Uh, with with other agronomists. Yep, yep. Well, they, they would probably have a better idea than I would, but that, I guess that was my other thought, is just to completely go out of the box and go the opposite way. But yeah, it's it's tough. You just, you just don't know what to do in some of these situations. So have you got some crop that's doing good, maybe on some higher ground, that you'd say, okay, well, that's doing okay?
7: The cotton looked really good, and the corn looked really good. we still got some corn that's going to be okay. Uh, we got a few soybeans that are going to be okay. Most of our soybeans are gone. We're about a third, a third, and a third this year, and most of our soybeans are are just gone. Um, The cotton, we're going to lose probably 100 acres, but what we didn't lose to water getting up on the ends or anything like that, uh, the water fell so hard, so fast, and so much wind involved. That it actually laid some of that young cotton over and then washed the uh,
0: soil away from the roots. My goodness, Oof.
7: Yeah, it's it's uh <laughs> it's ugly. I mean, I know y'all are hot and dry, and it's ugly for y'all. But
0: well, we'd rather be dry than have that kind of ha- thing happen. I, I was talking yeah. to a grower out in Pennsylvania too. They had. Uh oh I can't remember what it was. Five inches of rain coming like a half an hour in a small little geography and just washed away dirt like there's no tomorrow and sure. yeah, they they would have rather had a whole rest of the year no rain than have that happen once. So I, I know what you mean. It's right. gotta be careful what you wish for.
7: Out at our at there's an uh, University of Arkansas station not ten miles away from us. They recorded almost twenty inches of rain in about that many hours. Wow. Yeah, that's what we're dealing with. And everything flows that away. So they were full, and then as you got away from there, it got a little less. I think we only got like 14 inches. Uh, Only. After the gauge runs over, it really doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It it just – everything flows that away. So you've got their water backing up, then everybody else between us backing up, then us and the folks behind us backing up. So uh, it's not good. Yeah. The the, the bio-bartholomew is the highest it's ever been recorded history right now and it's it's a lifeblood to a lot of people around here because a lot of people pump irrigation water out of it and some drainage and it's so high that stuff can't even drain in there now
0: yeah it's not not a good situation well jacob uh, i guess our thoughts and prayers are with everybody in that area it's not just you that's getting impacted by this it's a big area so i really right really hope things turn around in a hurry i don't know how but but uh hopefully hopefully it works out uh, Jacob, thanks for talking to us. Really appreciate it. I know you're stressed out and busy right now, but uh but it's good to hear from you anyway. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, we don't need that. We don't need twenty inches of rain coming that fast, that's for sure. That's a that's a real challenge. And you know, here's one of those years, like Jacob's talking about, gosh, even even the agronomists in the air, they don't know what to do. It's never happened. So we gotta try and make our best guesses and, and try and figure out where to go from here and Experiment with some different maturities that we talk about doing a lot of experiments on the farm and, and some years like this we're kind of forced to experiment and then hopefully you document those things. I know a lot of things my dad talked about to Brian and me through droughts in the 70s and 80s have come back into play. and. You, you, I don't know, maybe he thought we weren't really listening to some of those things, but we were. And now that we've had those situations here, we're, we're trying to see, okay, well, what can we do? This is what worked for dad back then, or this is what worked for our grandparents. And and let's see if we can can use some of that knowledge to help us. All right, uh, let's dive into the Ag PhD Mailbag. Not sure if Graham's ready to send us in there. Our nephew's back. <laughs> Uh, it's no. the mailbag! now, his mom's taking over again. Janelle's Janelle's in control back there, I guess. Okay, uh, this one comes from Paul. He's in southwest Wisconsin, and Paul's got a corn rootworm question. Man, this time of year, Brian Brian's joining us here. Uh, this time of year, we don't like getting these corn rootworm questions, but Paul in southwest Wisconsin says, I've got corn up and growing, 8 inches tall, V4 to V5. I notice some of my corns already leaning, and roots are mostly chewed off when I dig them up. I'm suspecting it's corn rootworm. Is there anything we can still apply to put it on? These fields have been soybeans in the past, so weren't expecting rootworm problems.
8: No, nope, nothing you can do. This is why we talk about always using at least a half rate of capture or something. It costs like four dollars. So. I mean, you're gonna almost for sure get that back every time, but then every once in a while where you have major problems, then this kind of stuff pops up. Let me also add, we see more problems when people don't use insecticide on a regular basis. The problem is really bad when it actually strikes, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, there's nothing you can do at this point, but for next year, we would tell you at least use a half rate of capture LFR, that's better than nothing. If you want to go full rate, great, but at least a half rate will kill a lot of the secondary pests and then give you at least a little suppression on rumor. And certainly you can do much more than that if you choose, but do this at a minimum.
0: All right. Uh, thanks for the question. This one comes from Dan. He said, I just applied two quarts of Enlist Duo, 10 pounds of ammonium sulfate per 100 gallons of water, and 25 ounces of uh, a warrant product and I'm seeing speckled and some burned leaves seems to be worse on the lighter ground is this normal or is there something going on
8: yep no that's just normal when you spray warrant that's what you're gonna get
0: yeah it and heats, the ammonium it heats things
8: makes up makes it a little worse as well
0: yeah, that's not saying don't put any in. It's just, hey, expect that you're going to see some speckling. And and we always talk about... It's cosmetic. So, yeah, we talk about some of the uh, Iowa State and University of Nebraska hail charts, and you lose every leaf at this stage, you're not losing much for yield. So just keep that in mind as well, that it looks a lot worse than the yield damage it's going to lead to. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.